All right, good afternoon. It's good to see you guys back um, this afternoon, and uh, Dr. Thomas is going to come back up, and uh, and then we'll have a question and answer time, I think, and uh, so why don't we uh, bow, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll have Dr. Thomas come up. All right. Well, we just thank you again for our time together today, and we thank you for our fellowship this morning around your word, and um, just lifting your name up. Pray as Dr. Thomas comes, Lord, you'd just, your spirit would speak through him and, uh, in our afternoon session. And uh, so we thank you for being with us in the name of Christ. Amen. <laughs> You're still here? I have to be here. <clears throat> well, thanks for coming back. We're going to talk about dinosaurs this afternoon. Sound like a plan? Yeah, and dinosaurs, um, of course, you know me. I, was, I believed that they evolved from non-dinosaurs, and I believed that they evolved millions of years ago. And in fact, they kind of became icons of evolution and of evolutionary time. And uh, I remember I even wrote a song, you know, as much as a kid writes a song, but it was a song um, about, you know, the age of reptiles. And, um, and, then I, and then I started looking at these fossil features, these dinosaur details, that started to suggest to me that maybe there was no age of reptiles. Maybe they didn't evolve at all. And uh, maybe I've been told the wrong thing about dinosaurs. And so these details are the details I wish I knew when I was y'all's age, you back row people right there. Well, yeah, when I was your age, I was confused about these things. Thank you so much. Oh, yes. And, um, and I wish I knew what I'm about to show because then I wouldn't have been so confused for so long when I read Genesis and it said nothing about ages of evolution, nothing at all. Nothing about evolution or ages. Uh, or, or, you know, and, and in fact, it says that God created according to kinds. Can I trust that word in Genesis? Well, the more details I learn from the actual fossils and actual human history, as we'll see, uh, the more I found that Genesis stands tall. Okay? First dinosaur detail that I d d d discovered, I uh, wish I knew, was clever design. And uh, we see evidence of craftiness clever design in these dinosaurs, including, and we are going to say the dinosaur names this afternoon because you ate your dinner and it's settling on your tummy and all the blood is drained down to the belly. And so we got to bring the blood back up. And one way to do that is to speak dinosaur names. <laughs> so forcing your mouth to do this is going to force your brain waves to work. It's going to pull some of that blood back up. So say Diplodocus. We need some more blood cells up there. <laughs> Diplodocus, yeah. So, so I'm looking at this one, um, and I'm taking, you know, this is me standing in one place at the Denver Museum of Natural History. So you stand in one place, take a picture, swivel, picture, swivel, picture, and I'm cobbling them together, so that's what you're looking at. Because these creatures were so big, you can't fit it in one camera shot, unless you're so far back from it that you'd have to blast a hole in the wall <laughs> to get far enough back from it to get it all in one 
frame, picture frame. That's how big these were. And so what we're faced with as engineers, imagine engineering this. It's kind of like, you know, it's got this long neck, little tiny head, long tail, and it's like uh, building an airplane, you know, like airplane wings. And so you have to have the right pieces, and the right shapes, right parts, right strength, the right positioning. Uh, would you build an airplane wing with uh, cinder blocks or bricks? Would you get on an airplane that someone built with <laughs> cinder blocks and bricks? No, I would not. So you want that airplane wing to be built with the right materials, positioned in the right place. And that's what we see in these creatures. And then uh, you also want your plane to land. Uh, so you want it to have a stable foundation. And you want the wheels to be balanced. You don't want the wheels out on the wings. You want the wheels to be where the center of the weight is. Well, these creatures had their balance perfectly centered over their hips. And um, they could, in fact, take that tail that goes off screen here and use it as a third leg and they could rear up, these Diplodocus creatures could, and uh, they could lift that long neck even higher. So it's a 30-foot long neck, and now it can reach 40 feet up into tree branches and eat leaves, and it uses that tail as a, um, basically it builds a tripod with its body there. Uh, how? By pivoting and balancing on those hips. So the hips are central, and they're the highest point uh, there. Well, they're not, they're the most... Uh, supported point so all the weight could balance right on there and it's in the shape of an arch so when you see for example arches like these roman aqueduct structures near ephesus paul the apostle may have seen these you can see little people walking along there here's people there's people um so the romans built these uh, well is that what you'd conclude i mean i don't know maybe you look at these and say hmm stones pillars structures, arches, obviously eons of erosion and wind and weathering has cobbled these stones together to build arches and pillars. <laughs> no, we look at that and go, someone did it. And the same inference is valid for dinosaur bones. Look at that, someone did it. Someone had to have done it because this, as obvious as this is a sign of engineering, imagine building a bridge or an aqueduct where the pillars walk. <laughs> I want this bridge to go over there. Well, okay, start walking pillars. Now you've got a whole suite of design uh, parameters that have to be uh, managed. And so the creator of dinosaurs must have done that. Otherwise, we wouldn't have them the way they are. Now look at those, not cinder blocks, not bricks, but vertebrae with raised ridges at just the point where it needed support and hollowed out spaces in just those places where it could stand having gaps. And it reminds me of my bicycle. So I got a picture of a little bicycle and the chain ring around which the chain wraps is not a solid metal disc, but it's got raised ridges and hollowed out places uh, to save weight. So these are weight-saving features. And if you don't have weight-saving features, then you're gonna have a neck made out of bricks, plop, and his head's gonna be dragged on the ground and he won't be able to live or function. So all these features had to be put in place all at once or you won't have a sauropod dinosaur. Speak, well, sauropod. So I'm going to use the word sauropod. In fact, you are too. Ready? Go. Thank you. Keeping the brain cells alive. Uh, sauropod. These are the, the creatures with um, uh, long neck, long tail, legs that go straight down underneath the bulk of the body. And look at his head. 
I mean, even the head is tiny. Can you imagine sticking a big T-Rex head on the end of that long, skinny neck? I mean, plop. It wouldn't function. It wouldn't work. We never see the wrong heads on the wrong bodies. They're always integrated throughout, from tail to nose on these creatures. He even had, did Diplodocus, a teeny tiny brain the size of about a walnut. So that doesn't mean he was dumb, um, necessarily, uh, but, um, you know, it's all in the wiring. He, he could do what he did, and he did it really well, as far as we know. Um, <clears throat> sauropods. Now, I went to the Field Museum in Chicago to see what they had to say about sauropod dinosaurs, and this is what they said. And I thought, I've got to take a picture of this, because you're admitting that you recognize clever design in these creatures. They were engineered, you say. But if I were to ask these evolutionary, secularized, anti-Bible, anti-God people who wrote this sign, you're saying it's engineered. Who would you say was the engineer? Who did the engineering? <laughs> I can only imagine what they'd say. But if it's anything to do, if it's close to what they write and talk about, they'd say, well, it only looks like engineering. It was actually long ages of natural processes. So what they've done, we've swapped. We worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, according to Romans chapter 1. And that's why, what I think this sign represents, worshiping and, and serving natural processes in place of the Lord Jesus, uh, who the Bible says is the real designer. So I started to think, if I knew this, if I knew how exquisite the cleverness, how clever the design was in these dinosaurs, I wish I'd have known that, because then I could have been giving God credit for doing it instead of natural processes. You know what natural processes can accomplish, design-wise? Two words, diddly squat. <laughs> That's what they do. The only thing they can accomplish is tearing down things. And if you add more time, we have in our culture, like time is used as a magic wand, but over billions of years, it could happen, and therefore it did happen. Wait a minute, all it needs is like, you know, a, a week, and my kitchen starts to look like a wreck. And so I have to go in and clean the kitchen. And so time is the enemy of organization, not the friend. So I digress. Okay, so clever design, they're admitting it. Oh, here's clever design. Well, not me, but that uh, thing I'm holding. So that's an actual sorop, uh, sorry, a hadrosaur egg, and I'm holding it in front of my office, and out in front of my office we have a hadrosaur, which is a basically a duckbill type of dinosaur. Do you want to say hadrosaur? Go ahead. Yeah, hadrosaur, duckbill. It didn't have a duck's bill. It had a mouth in the shape of a duck's bill there, and that one's called Edmontosaurus, so I have a hadrosaur egg from China, um, back when it was legal to obtain them, no longer is. Okay, and it reminds me, so what happened? Well, this is such clever design that these creatures could copy themselves. Like, as my kids used to say, W-O-W. <laughs> -W. <laughs> wow! <laughs> hey, it's one of the better signs that I learned from my kids. <laughs> I won't share the other ones with you. Okay, keep those out of my house, kids. Uh, anyway, so wow, it copies itself. Imagine a cell phone, uh, you know, that can, uh, that can copy itself. 
Or, or maybe you need another self. So mom and dad have kids, and so you, your kids are growing up. They're 16. They're about to drive, so you want them to have a cell phone. That's how it worked in our house. So I just took my cell phone and my wife's cell phone. We put them in a little drawer in the kitchen. And then a, couple, a week later, we put, opened the drawer, and we got our cell phones out. And there's a little baby newborn cell phone in there. It's so cute. And we handed it to our 16-year-olds. And just, you know, just shake some electrons on it and some plastic and put it near some windows so it can get some glass and it will, it will grow and copy itself and make a full-size, full-grown, fully functional cell phone. Does that ever happen in the real world? <laughs> no. But the, 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 the design of these dinosaurs and of living creatures is and was so um, outrageously um, complicated that they could actually make copies of themselves. So I'm holding an egg as evidence that this creature could come out of an egg, something in the size of your hand. And by the way, even sauropod dinosaurs started small. So you don't have to take a 100-foot-long one on Noah's Ark if we get there. You just take a juvenile one, which was smaller. They all started small, and they would eat their environment, take those new ingredients and nutrients, and use those to build new circuitry, new wiring, new uh, structure, new support, new bones, new muscles, new, and they would grow and grow and grow and copy themselves and then make a, do that generation after generation. Build something like that, Captain Clever Designer. Can't do it. You only wish you could, but the Lord Jesus did. So he gets the credit, and that's what he uh, said he did in Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. And natural processes made the beasts of the earth. Oh, wait, no. And God made. Okay, we give him the credit. The beasts of the earth, I think dinosaurs qualify, the beasts of the earth, after his kind. And by the way, that's what we see in the fossils too. If it's a, um, if it's a duckbill, there's a bunch of varieties of duckbill. Some of them had head ornaments, um, some of them had no head ornaments, and some of them had weird head ornaments. But they all have the same basic body shape, so they're hadrosaurs. And so all you need is two basic hadrosaurs kinds to represent that kind of dinosaur, those two go on Noah's Ark. What about, the, what about Triceratops? One nose horn, two brow horns, three horns, Triceratops. Uh, but there's some Ceratopsians that had no horns. Some had only a few. Some had a whole bunch of horns on their frill, but they all had the same tank-like body plan. No neck, huge head. Heaviest head of any dinosaur, maybe of any creature ever. And uh, so all you need is two representative um, of that kind of dinosaur, and they can vary in their number and length of, bone, of horns and whatnot, or even body size. You know, even, even people come tall and short and wide and thin, and um, we even have different skin tones. So there's a lots of variations, but we're all people, and we recognize the basic body form of people. And so there, we are created after our kind. We reproduce according to our kinds. Fossils back that up. Modern creatures uh, bear that out also. And everything that creeps on the earth. And it was good. It was good. Only something's not good anymore. Because uh, those dinosaurs, they have scars uh, from wounding each other. And they have cancer, bone cancers in some cases. So uh, they suffered. They started to suffer. When and why did they suffer? And why is it no longer very good? Well, of course, Genesis 3 says, sin entered the world. Adam and Eve did what God said to not to do, eat the forbidden fruit. And so, uh, and so uh, God said, well, cursed is the ground for your sake. And then Romans chapter 8 talks about 
the bondage of uh, the bondage uh, of decay. So the whole creation groans and travails together now under bondage. It's decaying. It's a falling apart world. And it's been falling apart ever since Genesis 3. And we cannot fix it. So we're waiting for and looking for a Savior to rescue us from this catastrophic death. Well, they suffered a catastrophic death. Um, they did. Uh, and so this is the second dinosaur detail I wish I knew when I was young. Um, okay, this is a great one. Look at this fantastic specimen. Say it after me, Camarasaurus. So it's a shorter neck of all the long necks, and it's on display at the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh. And so, uh, but if you go around the neighborhood and ask for directions, I need to go to the Carnegie Museum, how do I get there? They'll correct you, and they'll say, Carnegie. So... To get to the Carnegie, you got to turn left over here. You know, so anyway, they, they corrected me. Sorry, Carnegie. To see this, uh, dinosaurs on display. And now, the researchers were looking at, at this one, um, in particular because it's got its head in a strange position. Its neck is arched back, which is very typical of dinosaur. And anything, any creature that had a long neck that died, neck arched back, neck arched back. So that's why, why? And so we'll talk about that. But in this one, it's the neck arched back and the head is bent forward. Now, it's, it's rare to even have a head at all associated with a dinosaur or any other uh, skeleton. Most often, we find, uh, if we find any dinosaur remains or other creature's remains, it's, been, it's a single bone that's been separated from the rest of the bones of the body or that bone has been separated from the, and crushed. So you're just getting a fragment of a bone that's what 90% of them are that you get. But this one's got most of it all there. And its head is like this. Why? Well, researchers were investigating this, and so I wanted to know what they were looking at. And so I read their technical journal article. And here was their conclusion, and I've got it. So there I went and took my picture close up of the neck. Why? Is that a natural position? Did they die a regular life death? Like, I'm an animal, and I'm going to die now because I'm really tired of living. I'm going to lay down gently like everyday normal processes and lie down in the mud and just pass away. Uh, I don't think that happened because it would have been scavenged, but its body is still intact, so it didn't get scavenged. But how did its neck, I mean, is that a normal life position? Well, they said this. The post-mortem dorsiflexion disarticulated the zygopophyses such that it was preserved in a pose that was unlikely attainable in life. Thank you, scientists, for communicating in a way that we can understand. So I got a dictionary out, <laughs> translated it into human language, and the translation is, something broke its neck. <laughs> so, its neck broke. Why can't you just say that, guys? Uh, so that's not calm, not normal, not gradual, not everyday, not uniformitarian, as they say, but catastrophic breaking of the neck. Well, here's some more catastrophe um, in the fossils. Uh, well, if you read what they say in the National Geographic family book on dinosaurs, which, by the way, I read, I read through this years ago, and I thought, we have got to come up with a more scientifically defensible and biblically responsible family book on dinosaurs. So we did, and it's called Guide to Dinosaurs, and we brought copies of it 
unlike Guide to Creation Basics, which I told you we had, and we don't here, but you can order that one. Anyway, the Net Geo book says, Compsognathus, say that. Yeah, that's fun to say, right? Uh, it lived close to the shore of a calm lake. Put on the brakes. How do you know where it lived? Were you there? I mean, is this a scientific statement? Is this defensible using experimentation? Do you have a time machine? Can you zap back in time and figure out how and where it lived? It wasn't far from the shore. It was close to the shore. And it wasn't a spastic lake. It was a calm lake. We know we were there. We have white lab coats. Trust us. <laughs> After death, the animal's body sank to the bottom of the lake, and the calm waters ensured that the bones wouldn't be broken up. Bones wouldn't broke up. Okay. Um, where was I? I was camp counselor in Lake, sorry, uh, Camp Jackson, which is a Boy Scout camp. Is it in Alabama? It's in Alabama. It's in Alabama. And there's a, there's a river there. What's that river? T Tennessee River. Some kind of... <sighs> anyways. We would go canoeing at Camp Jackson in Alabama. And um, so I was canoeing, and I was in the uh, back, because, you know, that puts me in control. And the guy canoeing in the front, we found a shallow area, you know, calm waters, calm lake. And so what he did with his paddle, his, and he would jam it down into those muds, the, the, the calm water, and he'd twist it. And it's, it's like this rotting, you know, sulfurous ooze that bubbles up. And so as we're traveling across the water, he would do this, twist, and then he would chuckle because the, the bubbles would come up and hit my nose right as we were passing <laughs> the bubbles. Okay, do froggies die in these calm lakes? Do fishies die in these calm lakes? Do they turn into fossils? Do they turn into nasty, smelly ooze bubbles? Yes. Okay, so they rot down there. So calm waters do not help make fossils. How do we know? We see calm waters all over the place, and there are no fossils forming. They're not fossils forming in the bottom of the oceans, not in the bottom of lakes, not in the bottom of, uh, of, of, of rivers, slow-moving waters, or anything like that. All that does is give bacteria opportunity to digest what the turtles haven't eaten already. Okay? So this is storytelling, A to Z. Uh, storytelling in the Nat Geo book. I mean, there's some compsognathid-type dinosaurs. There's one on the left found in Belgium. That's European. And then, um, uh, by the way, this is a turkey-sized dinosaur, full-grown, about the size of a turkey. And then there's one in China, same exact anatomy, but because it's found in a different continent, some scientist gets fame, funding, and fortune for getting to name it, so he named it Sinosauropteryx. Whatever, dude. <laughs> it's a copy. Anyway, yeah, so the calm waters of the calm lake calmly ensured that its head would get smashed against its pelvis, because that's what calm waters always happen to do. Look at that thing. It's folded in half. This is not calm at all. This is totally catastrophic. Miserable death. Oh, well, these guys got it right. So here I am at the Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman, Montana. Uh, great dinosaur museum there. And they do good research. And here is a, I think this is a Tenontosaurus. You want to say that? And its neck is arched back again, as usual. Um, and they're saying, they're saying on the placard there, it's our scientists 
who um, discovered why probably this dinosaur suffered an agonizing death. You could see its agony. It's like, oh, oh, splat, choking. They said, we did an experiment with chickens, which is an animal that has a flexible neck, and then they drowned the chickens, and then they, they found that the chickens died. After the chickens died by drowning, their necks were arched back because they were choking on all that water. And um, before you get sad, just remember that chickens are delicious. <laughs> and it's okay. They went to a really good cause here. And if the scientists ate their experiment, it would have been doubly good. Two birds with one stone. <laughs> and you read the fine print on this, and it says, this animal probably died by choking based on our experiments. And I said, yes, it was choking. It was agonizing. Yes, because what am I thinking in terms of? I'm starting to think in terms of lots of agony, lots of water, lots of mud. Noah's Ark, Noah's Flood. I mean, that's how you get rock layers deposited in these sedimentary packages that stack on top of whole continents all around the world. Even Antarctica has dinosaur fossils in rock layers. Anyway, so I'm thinking choking, yes. Agony, yes. Noah's flood, yes. And they said, it's choking probably because a predatory dinosaur is clamped on its neck. Do you see the predatory dinosaur? Clamped anywhere. It's not even anywhere around. But it is wrapped with mud. It's surrounded by mud. But could he have been choking on this mud? that has turned into stone? Oh no, because then we'd have to say that all the dinosaurs and birds with necks arched back choked on all that mud. And that, we, that means we'd have to say that they all died catastrophically and they did that on every continent of the globe. And then we'd have to say that there's a global watery cat catastrophe that killed these dinosaurs. And so instead of admitting that, we're gonna pretend like there's a predatory dinosaur here and it's not even there. Speaking of predatory dinosaurs, this might have been one. Some call it a scavenger, but it's the famous, the most famousest one of all, Tyrannosaurus rex. And so this is the, the most famous specimen of T. rex. It's nicknamed Sue after the discoverer, Miss Sue Hendrickson. It's on display, again, at the Field Museum in Chicago. And uh, so when I went to investigate it, uh, took some pictures. On the top left, you've got Sue's head, and this is a replica now, and so all the bones have been placed in life position. And uh, then on the right, the bottom right, I took a picture of Sue's head, um, it, the actual fossil head taken out of the ground there in a glass case so that we can uh, worship and genuflect before the awesome presence of, oh, I mean, just look at it closer. And notice these two people. Do you see them? Do you see my mouse? Yeah. There's a guy and a gal, and they're reading a placard that is explaining some of the differences between the put-together skull and the actual skull. Do you notice some difference? Starting to see? See the top of the head is straight? That's, that's how it would have been in life. But this one is smooshed. Right, right here on the top of the head is smooshed. And then the nose is broken here. See, there's a piece missing but the nose bridge is completely connected like it would have been in life up there. So what accounts for these smooshed-like features? Here's what the sign says. And I'm looking at these people, and I'm going, I want to see what they're reading, because they're reading it like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. And then we traded places. They went on the other side, and I, and I started reading the sign, 
And here's what it said. Crushed nose. Yes, do tell. When Sue was found, her pelvis was resting on top of her snout. This is the pelvis. This is the snout. So it was upside down and folded in half. Which sounds odd. Though it may sound odd. Yes, it does. Discovering a theropod dinosaur in this death pose is surprisingly common. Well, if it's odd once, it's even more odd if it's more than once. Uh, okay, and then it says this. This pose may be caused by muscle spasms. I'm not making this up. Muscle spasms. Because I mean, every time I get a muscle spasm, it takes my pelvis and smashes against my nose. And, and I hate it when that happens. Then I have to go to the doctor. It happens all the time, those muscle spasms. And I start laughing in the middle of the museum, like out loud. What? Muscle spasms? Hey, y'all, did you read this sign? Oh, you did read the sign. I can't believe you read this sign and you're not laughing. You want to laugh with me for a second? And they just went, and they just backed away. Back away from the crazy man. But it says muscle spasms. I mean, how desperate are we for explanations to try to explain away catastrophic, watery death worldwide that we're going to say muscle spasms. Okay. Shame on you guys. Stop that silliness. Uh, so here I am at all these different museums looking at all these different T-Rexes, and this is a big animal. I mean, it's six and a half tons of biological bulldozer. You can go anywhere he wants. So, but they were all completely inundated by mud sediment. And so that mud was flowing and moving faster than he could get away. Otherwise, he would have got away, but he didn't. He couldn't. He was completely covered. And that mud and sediment was moving with such tremendous force that this six-ton animal, who can bulldoze his way anywhere, couldn't get out. He, he didn't have enough force to counteract the force with which this wall of moving mud came. And it was sliding so far that it it covered uh, like half the, half the United States in one slab. And so it's just hundreds and hundreds of square miles deposited all at once, rolling all kinds of creatures in as it moved along across the continent, um, depositing dinosaurs with uh, garfish that looked just like today's garfish, turtles that looked like just like today's turtles, um, uh, clams in there, shark teeth in there, and birds, uh, and various small mammals that would have lived in trees. And then, of course, plants were rolled up in there, too. We have plant, well, I have a fossil fig, looks just like today's figs, and uh, ferns, and um, uh, other plants, other plants uh, like palm trees were rolled up in there and splattered out. So anyway, swamp-like creatures, uh, wetlands, and sky creatures, and some sea creatures all just in the same rock layer, that does not happen anywhere today. Uh, if you get any deposit, it'll be like some little thin layer on the edge of a, of a stream or a river. You might get a deposit in a delta out in, the, out in the lake. These are not shaped like deltas. They're not corners of rivers. They're giant slabs of rock that span across whole states. And in some case, they span across they jump across continents um, when those continents were connected in the pre-flood world. So that's a lot of catastrophe, guys, but that's exactly what the Bible described all along was this catastrophe, saying, for example, in Genesis 7, 
and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the little corner of the Middle East. Oh, wait, the earth. And some of the high hills under part of the heaven were covered. Oh, wait, no. It's all the high hills. Now, does that mean Himalayas, the Andes? No. Those mountains formed during the flood, because of the flood. These are the high hills of the pre-flood world. That's what the text indicates. Um, The water prevailed and all flesh died that moved on the earth. So if it walked around the earth, if they had the breath of life in its nostrils, and dinosaurs had nostrils, then, and it wasn't on the ark, then it died. And it took months and months for this to happen. And so we have months and months of waters coming up, coming up, coming up, and then going off, going off, going off for even more months so that the whole flood took more than a year, 371 days, according to the, the ship's log account that we have in the book of Genesis there. Okay, that means that, um, that, means that, uh, that we have probably, let's see, it had legs, dinosaurs had legs, had nostrils, breath of life in its nostrils, walked, it could walk, could breathe, so it was probably on Noah's Ark, which means you have these creatures on Noah's Ark along with all the other uh, representatives of, of, of every basic kind. How much space would that have taken? Is it feasible? We have a whole study that we did years ago called Noah's Ark, a feasibility study, showing that it was feasible. In fact, the, the maximum estimate would have been 16,000 different kinds of creatures, including the extinct ones. So how much space would that have taken up? Only two of the three decks on Noah's Ark. So we wonder, what was all that extra space on the Ark for? Maybe Noah was saving it for people who were going to repent but never did. So they would have fit. Uh, easily on the ark um, by taking not the granddaddy 100 foot long dinosaur sauropods but just the juvenile ones 70 basic dinosaur kinds would have fit in one corner of one deck uh, and so most of what was on the ark was birds because it was seven pairs of the birds we think so anyway uh, that means that they would have lived through the flood on the ark gotten off the ark and have creatures gone extinct since between uh, the ark and today? Well, you've heard of the dodo bird, famous for its going extinct. You've heard of the homing pigeon, a variety of pigeon that, had, that went extinct. So how do animals go extinct today? And what threatens their existence on the planet? When they lose their habitat, they're in trouble. So they can lose their habitat from humans getting rid of their habitat, or maybe climate change. Speaking of climate change, what about an ice age? You talk about climate change. So there was an ice age after the flood. But what evidence would we look, would we look for to see if there's something outside the Bible that also suggests that dinosaurs may have lived with humankinds right after the flood? Well, you might look at our ancestors' artwork. So we go to archaeology next. And for example, here's an Uruk cylinder seal. It's a little it's about this big, um, a little piece of stone that's got carvings on it, and it's um, from the Middle East, and millennia old, I mean, it's really old. They would take this and roll it out, put it on a spindle and roll it out along a piece of clay to decorate that clay, and then, so they've done some reconstructive archaeology here, rolled it out on a piece of clay and put it on display at the Louvre in Paris. Uh, and so what does it show? It shows birds, and then um, creatures with long necks, long tails, and legs that go almost straight down underneath their body. 
Why do I say that? Well, that's the big difference between dinosaur reptiles and other reptiles. Dinosaurs had unique hip sockets, had an open hip, it's called an open acetabulum, and that's what dinosaurs had, all of them had that. So that enabled their legs to support their weight directly beneath all that heavy weight. Unlike um, crocodiles or lizards or modern reptiles, where the legs, the legs go out from the body and then down to the ground. So anyway, so they like, they waddle, lizards waddle when they walk or run. This is kind of fun, you should try this in your spare time. But dinosaurs' legs straight down. So whether it was a two-legged dinosaur, this is also fun, by the way, or, or four quadrupedal, you know, four-legged down, they were all beneath. So that's the anatomy that that shows. And this is like thousands of years later uh, and thousands of miles away from the Middle East. This is at Carlisle Cathedral in the north of England. So when my wife and I went and visited, we wanted to see this. It's Bishop Bell. He died in 1406, I think. And this is his tomb. And pastor, they buried their bishops right in the aisle, <laughs> middle of the church. Something to think about for years and years from now. <laughs> and so uh, centuries of foot traffic wore down this brass decoration uh, that wrapped around his, um, the top of his tomb there. And uh, anyway, so, it's, it's, uh, so, so it was covered with a rug when we went, and I was like, I can't find it. We walked all over the cathedral and can't find Bishop Bell's tomb anywhere. And so um, I was about to leave in a huff because that's the kind of guy I am. And my wife said, well, let's just ask the, the rector. And I'm like, talk to people. Oh, so... You know, ladies always asking for directions and getting stuff actually done. So, so she said, excuse me, sir, and then talked to the rector, you know, a guy with a wh black coat and a white collar. And we would like, we came, you know, we'd like to see Bishop Bell's tomb. Is there any way we can see that? So he said, oh, sure, I would love for you, because he thought we were there to appreciate the art, which we were. Um, and so he removed the rug, and there, there it was in all of its brass glory. So it's, um, it's a beautiful uh, decoration there, and it's got you know, this fillet or brass decoration that's inset into the granite floor, and it's, um, it's got modern animals, so uh, fish, like, um, and then pheasants, and then a fox, you know, deer, animals that you'd recognize in England even back then, at least. And then there's this, with legs that go straight down, long necks, uh, long tails, and, the, and again, the necks are like intertwined, like it's, I don't know, fighting with each other or something. And then I got to looking at this years after we took our photos, um, and I saw the end of the tail, and it has four spikes, tail clubs, four tail spikes on that, and, um, and I thought to myself, wait a minute, I know it looks like a sauropod to me at least, in general, but are there any actual sauropods known from fossils that have any tail spikes on them. And so I looked at the literature, and sure enough, in the uh, 1990s, scientists found, if you want to say it after me, you can, Shunosaurus. Shunosaurus. Turns out it's a sauropod with tail spikes. And how many tail spikes did Shunosaurus the fossil have? Four. So my theory is the artist who did this in the 1400s got into a time machine, went into the 1990s, and figured out how many tail spikes he needed to put, and what the shape of this creature ought to be, and then he went back in time to the 1400s, the Middle Ages, and no, there was no time machines. More likely, he had access 
maybe he had firsthand or secondhand knowledge of this creature still alive way back then, but it has gone extinct today like the dodo bird. That's a possibility that we ought to consider instead of just dismissing this evidence from archaeology, which is all too easy for my colleagues to do. The Narmer palate in Egypt has long necks still intertwined and uh, not enough space on the thing to show all the tails maybe and then legs that go straight down. Those necks look pretty characteristic. Um, and then we have uh, Chateau du Blois in France and it's a, it's a tapestry there. Actually made from Belgium but um, Anyway, this creature here with the scales, and it's, and it's in a swamp uh, wetlands setting, and it's got regular familiar creatures elsewhere and plants. Uh, this creature, I don't, it doesn't match anything from fossils, so maybe it's just what they thought of as a dragon. Maybe it's just like a generalized dragon form or something, of which most artwork is. But this one here looks exactly like, like what we'd expect to see from fossils of a creature called Myasaura. So those Myasaurs... Um, found in the western U.S. is fossils. They look like this creature here, little duckbill guy. Isn't he cute, though? You could, like, raise him as a pet, feed him dog food, and then you could feed him to your brother. Uh, so here's a... Um, not, uh, the, the mosaic of Palestrina in Italy, and it shows a picture of what was going on in the Nile on the opposite side of the the Mediterranean Sea um, in Africa. And so it's, it's really pretty, pretty well done. And it would have been about 100, maybe 200 years old by the time of the Lord Jesus. So this would have been around at the time of Christ. And it's a little, um, it's a little worship uh, um, cops there that they would... Anyway, so it's, but the artwork is what we're interested in. So uh, I'm interested in this part because it's got animals and plants that, and people that look familiar. I mean, you recognize that as a human form, right? But what about this thing here? Um, it's got legs that go down, but it's, it's not a crocodile because it, twir it turns its head. But it's not a dinosaur-looking thing either because, I, well, I don't know of a dinosaur that looks quite like that. Um, but this tells us in Greek lettering using little tiny tiles, and it's, it's cro crocodile-like and it's a leopard Lepardal, I can't read Greek, but it's crocodile-like and it's leopard-like. Well, you know, there's a whole class of animals called mammal-like reptiles. They went extinct too, as did the dinosaurs, somewhere between Noah's flood and today. And so maybe they too were alive uh, in some pockets of, uh, of the earth long ago. And it's got these long uh, fangs or teeth or tusks or whatever. And boy, there's a fossil mammal-like reptile called Gorgonopsid that has just this exact shape. I think we may be looking at a Gorgonopsid. Well, some of my colleagues suggested that on the internet, and um, defenders of evolution said, that can't be an extinct creature because those extinct creatures died millions of years before man ever evolved. But don't you know that that's circular reasoning? You're assuming the conclusion before you're even looking at the evidence. And then they say, well, it's probably just a crocodile anyways. And then I just say, well, look to the left. There's a crocodile. So these artists were really uh, good. And there's a hippopotamus. They knew what they were drawing with tiles. Anyway, so there's a few of these uh, evidences of uh, dinosaurs having lived with man after the flood. And that evidence comes from 
artifacts, and written documents. Our ancestors described every culture has a word for a big reptile. Dragon is the European word, and, uh, but in Chinese, yeah, they have the word long. Even um, South and North American Indian tribes, they have their words. Um, and we've got those documented on our free articles online. Well, here's, here's in Cambodia, in the jungles, there's a temple, and you've got a parrot at the top off screen, a bull, a water buffalo, and then this thing, this creature here with big uh, uh, tail, uh, sorry, plates on its back, big plates on its back. Reminds me of something like Stegosaurus, maybe, but we need to at least put that on the table and not just dismiss it. Oh, back in Europe, back in Europe, we have a depiction of St. George and the Dragon, the legendary legend of a legendary legend. <laughs> but, but was it totally legendary? Well, Someone had to decide what their dragon was going to look like. And it turns out that different depictions of St. George's dragon look very different from one another. So why did this artist choose this dragon to look like this? And one of the theories we're working with is that maybe these artists had first or second-hand knowledge of the particular dragon that was alive near them at the time they did their artwork hundreds of years ago, uh, before the kings and queens and people drained the swamps and made the land uh, more usable for their peoples, which is what happened in the 1600s. So anyway, this one happens to match in total body length, body ratio, head to, uh, to, uh, to torso, uh, size of the um, shape of the skull, and the characteristic teeth that go out of the skull. This art happens, to, it's in Barcelona, happens to match exactly what we see in fossils, Triassic fossils of um, a creature called Nothosaurus, if you want to say that. Nothosaurus. Looks like that. Well, uh, what just happened? Is that where I want to be? This, this is where I want to be. Clashes with dragons suggests that these dinosaurs did live with man after the flood, and that's kind of what we'd expect if Job's behemoth was a dinosaur. Yeah, I had a friend of mine who was not a believer, um, secular all the way. He's on the beach in Spain, because that's where he l lived and worked. And some people were out beach witnessing in Spain, and they came up to him and said, hey, did you know, I mean, just this was their introductory question. Did you know that there's dinosaur in the Bible, described in the Bible? He was like, what? He knew the word dinosaur, and he knew the word Bible, <laughs> but he never connected those. And he said, really? And the, and the guy goes, yeah, we're going to have a meeting over here in about two hours if you want to come join us. And he thought to himself, yeah, I want to see if there's dinosaurs in the Bible. That sounds intriguing. Went to the meeting. They described this, Job chapter 40, and he got interested in the Bible because of this. He started reading it, and he came to faith in Christ. Now he does creation ministry in the United Kingdom today because of this. Anyway, so look now, said God to Job, at the behemoth which I made along with you, with you on day six of creation week. Uh, see now, his strength is in his hips. We talked about the Diplodocus, which could pivot on those hips. Uh, and so maybe that's what it was. Uh, was it a Diplodocus alive in the Middle East um, after the flood? Well, he does move his tail like a cedar. Cedar. Now, that's a kind of tree, y'all. Cedar tree. And so uh, the Bible study notes say, possibly a hippopotamus. So I went to the Dallas Zoo, and I watched the hippopotamus. It, what's the plural on that? Hippopot hippopotamuses. 
hippopotami. Anyway, those things are so boring. They just sit there and breathe, and then they sink and float. But finally, they started to come up on the little grassy knoll that they have there in Dallas. <laughs> Young people don't have any idea what I just mentioned. So the hippo comes on its grassy knoll, and it used its little flap-like tail to do something I wish I could unsee. It was like, you know, a fertilizer distribution event, com complete with nasty sound effects. Oh. So anyway, it doesn't move like a cedar tree. It doesn't look like, it's not shaped like, a, not the size of a cedar tree. Nothing like a cedar tree. I think they got the wrong animal in the Bible study notes. Um, but, um, but it does match what I think of when I see the dinosaur um, dinosaur de like Diplodocus from the fossils and from our ancestors' artifacts. All right, and then the last two uh, dinosaur details. I wish I knew this. I wish I knew about this stuff because then I would have been able to think, oh, God made them. God killed them in a flood. Some of them survived for a time after the flood. Um, but can I really believe that this flood happened thousands, not millions of years ago? Because that flies in the face of everything I've been told. Well, there's two reasons you can believe in the timing, thousands, not millions, and the first of those two reasons is in this fourth dinosaur detail, collagen decay. Collagen is a protein. It's what makes your skin, okay? It's in your bones, and it's in animal skin and animal bones. It's what makes leather tough. That's why our shoes are tough. They last a long time. Um, grandpa's saddle in the garage what happens to the saddle eventually? It doesn't last forever, does it? It decays, right? So blurt it out. What happens to the saddle? Dry rot. So what's it look when leather dry rots? It cracks. The edges, um, the edges fade and fail. Well, collagen is what makes up blood vessels, and scientists, um, especially starting with this publication in 2005, found blood vessels still inside dinosaur bones. So here on the left is the uh, Tyrannosaurus rex skull, nicknamed B-Rex, um, on display in the Museum of the Rockies, that was associated with the femur bone. That's the big leg bone that scientists... Actually, they had to break this bone just to get it out of the field because they had to helicopter the thing out of the side of a cliff. And the the femur was so big and the mud and sediment associated with it was so heavy that the helicopter couldn't lift it. So they had to break the, the femur in half along with all the mud and sediment, called matrix, so that they could helicopter it in two lifts. Well, that meant that you have an exposed part of the bone. So uh, researchers, uh, led by uh, Dr. Mary Schweitzer, investigated what's inside the dinosaur bone looking for, actually they weren't looking for what they found, they found this by accident. And so they dissolved away a part of the mineral, uh, the mineral part of bone using a, a dilute acid. And then, lo and behold, connective tissue. I mean, uh, blood vessels still in there. This is, I mean, this is pretty, this is pretty delicious looking. Mmm. And here's some more from a different dinosaur from a different country. Blood vessels, red blood cell-like elements is what they called it. Connective tissues, bone cells. This would pass for like, you know, Alabama barbecue. <laughs> Not that bad. Anyway, this is from, this is from Canada because the, um, the scientists who published this, you know, what, you know what their colleagues told them? Said, that can't be from dinosaur because dinosaur bones are tens of millions of years old 
and this stuff can't last that long, therefore you must have dropped your lunch in the test tube or something like that. So they said, okay, we'll do it again. So they got a different bone from a different dinosaur from a different place, used a different lab to analyze it all, and they came up with the same exact kinds of results. This time from a hadrosaur femur, they broke it open on purpose this time, and they, um, they dissolved away the mineral part of the bone. They found all that collagen still decaying. Not just collagen, but other proteins too. Here's another uh, extinct animal. This one is a mosasaur, say it. Mosasaur, and that's a, that's a marine reptile. So technically not a dinosaur. By definition, dinosaurs had legs. This one had flippers and a, f and a shark-like tail, and it was a uh, marine reptile. So uh, in, in its rib, ca rib cage, it's got this red patch here, and this, so there's a group of authors, uh, scientists, looking to find out what makes this red patch red. And they actually looked for like maybe there's a magnet in here that's drawing iron atoms into this area. They didn't find any magnet, but they looked. And then they said, well, let's see, maybe there's hemoglobin there. There shouldn't be, there can't be, because hemoglobin is protein, and protein doesn't last a million years, let alone 90 million, which is the age assignment for this uh, uh, fossil, which, by the way, came from the middle of Kansas, because as everyone knows, Kansas is in the middle of an ocean. <laughs> no. There was an ocean on Kansas, and it was, uh, but I think that ocean was on there for only about a year, Noah's flood. And that's why you have the Niobrara chalks, which cover all of Kansas in one giant rock formation in, that included this. And I think the flood, well, the Bible t teaches that the flood would have been only, what, 4,500 years ago or so? So thousands of years, not millions. And if that's the case, you might expect to see what they did find in that little red patch right in its chest cavity, right where the heart of a dolphin is in a dolphin's chest cavity. So when I saw this on display at the L.A. County Museum of Natural History, you better believe I was jumping up and down. Look, it's still red! It's the remnants of its heart still in the fossil. And so I said, someone take a picture. So that's me pointing to the famous bloody heart uh, in there. And so hemoglobin is a, is a protein. Proteins are made of, you know, amino acids. And so bacteria love to eat them. And if the bacteria don't eat them, they still fall apart anyway. Because that's what chemistry do, as they say. That's what happens in the real world. And again, I was like, hey, guys, look at this. It's a bloody heart. And again, the, the other people were backing away. <laughs> come, come look. You're going the wrong way, people. So here's more uh, T-Rex uh, um, connective tissue and hemoglobin. And now we have uh, found some, my secular colleagues published this in 2007, the Royal Academy of Sciences, and it's uh, more blood vessels made of collagen protein, and there's, this is from um, Triceratops, and that's just the tip of literally an iceberg, so uh, my contribution, this is now my field of study, is collagen decay, and um, so one of my contributions to my field is uh, just collecting all the literature, and we've, we have a pretty comprehensive list of, now it's over 116 publications of biomaterial, whether it's a protein or DNA or anything biomaterial, skin, whole tissues, uh, um, you name it, and it's in the fossils somewhere, and we found it in fossils that are up high in the rock layers, fossils that are at the very bottom of the rock layers. You might find this stuff anywhere, which is consistent with what the Bible teaches and what we're saying about these layers that they all formed in just one year, not separated by millions of years at all. And that's why, that's a good reason to explain how you have collagen still in 
uh, various of these layers. Well, it's a recent creation, recently flooded, according to the Bible, and according to what Jesus said in Mark 10, verses 6 and 7, when he said this, But billions of years after the Big Bang beginning, God made them male and female, right? Oops, another misquote from Dr. Thomas. But from the beginning of creation, right there from the beginning, God made them male and female. So we have people around from the start, according to the Lord Jesus, who's quoting from Genesis chapter 1 as though it's actual history. And I think it's defensible history. And I think the science of collagen decay supports that history. Now the final, the fifth um, uh, dinosaur detail I wish I knew was carbon decay. And so there's a version of carbon called radiocarbon or carbon-14, and it turns itself into nitrogen, decaying naturally. Um, The half-life is what, 5,730 years? If you want to look that up, you could look up half-life. It's in our books too. But the shelf life is, is what I'm interested in, is how long can it last, period. It should all be gone by about 60,000 years. Let's almost double it just to be safe and call it 100,000 years. So if you find carbon-14 in a sample, that sample can't be older than 100,000 years. Uh, otherwise, it would have ter- turned itself all completely into nitrogen. So what we do is, at the Institute and at other places, uh, we look for um, radiocarbon if it's in there, as a time indicator. Not a, um, it's not good to date with it. It's not accurate enough to assign an age or a date to it, but we can get an indication of a general idea of how long it could have possibly been in the ground. So what am I holding? Spatula and a hadrosaur caudal vertebra. That means it's a tailbone. And so I took a saw and took tools and broke the thing in half to get to the middle of it, and then I took sample from the center, sent it off to a radiocarbon dating lab, and they came back with results that showed, yes, you have radiocarbon in there. And I thought, whoa, this is surprising. It's almost like it's thousands, not millions of years old because it's got radiocarbon still in it. So then uh, we got another sample, this time a, um, a triceratops horn. We found one in the Hell Creek Formation in Montana, my colleague did, um, just the horn, because usually the horns are broken off and you know separated from the skull. Um, so we got just the horn, and then we got a sample of that horn, sent it off to a radiocarbon dating lab. In fact, we did multiple labs, multiple send-offs, so we lost most of our horn to this process. Um, but that's okay, because our donors want us to keep doing science, so they keep writing checks saying, do more good science. And uh, so we said, okay, we'll get more horn, and we'll send it in again. So we did, and every time it came back with radiocarbon in your dinosaur horn core, the horn core. Then I found a sample from the Carnegie, and it's of a Diplodocus, and it's in rock layers that that are further below, you know, with age assignments in excess of 100 million years, Uh, but it came back with radiocarbon in this bone too, uh, as though it's thousands, not millions of years old. And then same with Stegosaurus, got some in that. And here's the fun one to say, if you want to say it, Psittacosaurus. That's fun to say, especially considering the fact that it starts with the letter P. So it's Chinese dinosaur. And we've got a sample of that um, from the market and um, uh, the fossil market, that's a thing. And then we sent it off to, um, not the black market, y'all. We sent it off to, uh, to the radiocarbon dating lab, and they said, yeah, we've got radiocarbon here. 
And this is consistent with what uh, secular scientists have been finding for decades in coal. These coal seams have been designated, uh, you know, with ages in excess of 200 million years, and yet here we have radiocarbon in coal. See, what they're looking for is a source of carbon that has no radiocarbon left in it, so they can use it as a blank, as an instrument blank, to zero their device. Um, and they can't find anything. So everything they test seems to have traces of radiocarbon in it. They've tested marble, anything with carbon. Uh, they've tested oil, natural gas, coal, um, uh, um, graphite, and every time there's, there's some radiocarbon in it. Even, they've even tested diamonds. So ICR, um, that's the group for which I work, Institute for Creation Research, we did an extensive um, examination of uh, radioisotopes. Part of that project included testing diamonds to see, you know, because diamonds are pure carbon, but if there's radiocarbon in there, then they shouldn't be uh, a billion or three billion years old, and that's the secular age assignment. You know, that's what they have on the commercials, right? This diamond's been forming for billions of years underground, and now it can be on your finger. <laughs> As though age gives it more value or something. Uh, well, maybe it is that old. Let's test it and see. So we sent it off. We were the first ones to do that, and the lab came back with radiocarbon in diamonds. Like, how are you going to uh, contaminate a diamond? It's part of the structure of the actual crystal. So, um, so we presented our findings at the uh, American Geophysical Union. We had a poster at this science meeting, and uh, some radiocarbon uh, dating uh, experts came to the meeting, and uh, they looked at our poster, and they said, I think this is bogus from this bogus crazy creation group. So they went, got their own diamonds, and tested them, and they found radiocarbon in their diamonds too, published in the Journal uh, of Nuclear Instruments and Methods, whatever that is, Physics Research B in 2007. And I read the paper, and um, I read the paper. They said, um, they said, it must, because these are billions of years old, the, the radiocarbon had to have come from somewhere else, not from the diamond. I mean, you talk about circular reasoning. They totally circularized their cells. Yeah, maybe the diamond is not that old, and that's why you have radiocarbon in it. It's all over the place. So we have carbon decay indicating recent creation, and that's what Hebrews 9, 26 suggests. Let's look at this as our last, one of our last verses really quick. Uh, not that he, that's the Lord Jesus, should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year, uh, you know, making a sacrifice often with the blood of another, that's a, a sacrifice. If that was the case, then he, the Lord Jesus, would then have had to suffer often since billions of years after the beginning of the world. Oh no, it says, since the foundation of the world. So we've needed a priest, we've needed a covering for sin since the very beginning. What was there at the beginning? Adam and Eve. What did they do right off the bat? Sin. And what did the Lord Jesus do? Covered their sin with an animal sacrifice, clothing them with the animal skin. Had to sacrifice the animal to get the clothing, to get that covering. That's why you guys are wearing clothes, by the way. It's a symbol of the covering over our sin that we need. And that all came from Genesis. And this Genesis history fits what we're learning uh, from fossils and the timing of it thousands, not millions of years ago. So we can say, if I've told you of earthly things, says Jesus to Nicodemus, come on, Nicky. If I've told you of earthly things, you don't believe those. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
So we're saying earthly things like the creation of the earth, God got that right. The flooding of that earth, God got that right, and science fossils backs that up. Um, and then uh, uh, what about the uh, uh, dinosaurs all uh, alive on after the flood on the earth? Okay, that's behemoth, and uh, so we have artifacts that back that up. And what about the timing of this, thousands, not billions of, year, of years ago? Uh, that's the age of the earth, you know, and so s there's science that indicates that the recent age of the earth uh, fits what the Bible says. So if we can trust the earthly things that are in this book, go ahead and trust the heavenly things too. Go ahead and trust whatever this book says. Go for it. You have no reason to not. Y y you know, uh, what does it say, heavenly speaking? It says, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And I can actually access forgiveness and new life by repenting of those sins and trusting in Christ. That's the heavenly teaching part of it, and that comes from the same book that teaches me about the origin of the world. You can learn all about this at our Discovery Center in Dallas. You know, it's right down the road. Just come on over. And um, we have today with us Guide to Dinosaurs, family book on dinosaurs, answers all these dinosaur questions and goes through the different various kinds of dinosaurs. Uh, if you like the presentation I just made, you can access your own copy of it. If we didn't bring it, it's called Dinosaurs and Man. We have a DVD of it, but you can also download the stream or whatever they call that to your... Anyway, they have, they have digital magic versions of everything. Um, <laughs> Dinosaurs in the Bible, actually we have Harvest House publishes that for me, um, for us, and so um, the copies of Dinosaurs in the Bible that we have on this book table are the last copies available right now on planet Earth. <laughs> we ordered more, but there's like shipping delays and stuff, so maybe they'll, they'll come out with more, but um, anyway, it's four short chapters, and the fourth chapter of my booklet Dinosaurs in the Bible answers the question, if the evidence is so overwhelming, then why don't more scientists just believe that the flood did it all? So I have answers to that uh, question that you might have. And what else do we have for us today? Dinosaurs for kids and um, basics and beyond. I think you guys may have snapped those up, which I really appreciate because you are, you're, they're equipped. Your people want to know. They want to get equipped to uh, defend the scripture and to have intelligent and fruitful conversations with folks who scoff at scripture. We're surrounded by scoffers and we got to get equipped and we got to get ready. And I think dinosaurs, if we learn this five reasons, five dinosaur details, if we get these baked into our minds, it'll give us even more uh, uh, foundation for more conversations. I mean, a friend of mine asked uh, the, the head of um, paleontology at the Smithsonian, have you heard about the guy who walks out He's looking at, my friend's looking at the fossils. Guy was, are you the head of the, because he's got like a name tag. Yes, I am. What can I do for you? Have you heard about soft tissues inside dinosaur bones? And the guy goes, yes, I have heard about that. How do you explain that? So we can get those conversations going. And the guy literally said, the head of paleontology said to my friend, I have a theory on that. I think that they, that they were in the field working with the dinosaur bones and that they took a lunch break and they, and they accidentally drop part of their lunch meat into, <laughs> into the sample, and that's what they're looking at, you know. And so he, my buddy told me that, and, and I just started laughing again, and he started backing away again. And, and I said, uh, what, were they, what were they having for lunch? A bunch of bologna? <laughs> my goodness. So, yeah, we have 116 publications of original material 
So we, you know, learn these things. Get equipped so that you can have more confidence than ever that the Bible got it right, whether it speaks of earthly things or heavenly things. Thanks, everybody. Dr. Thomas, we really appreciate you being with us this weekend, and uh, it was a privilege to have you, and um, David back there, uh, one that travels with him and uh, helps him. Uh, I always, always have to thank Amanda, because she puts a lot of stuff together, her and Shauna, and um, without them, um, I think I'm buried without them. Um, I really appreciate all their work to get this weekend put together. Uh, we'd love to continue a relationship with you, Dr. Thomas, and have you back sometime. You make sure that you speak to him before you uh, leave today. Uh, let's bow and let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much that we do see as we walk outside, as we see your creation, Lord, that you're the only one that's worthy of praise and honor and glory. Thank you that we have the privilege to be able to to worship you as we discussed uh, today and because you're the only one worthy of that. So thank you for Dr. Thomas. I pray for him and his family, Lord, and I know he has a lot of demands on his schedule. We just pray for good health for him. You protect him, Lord, and continue to use him in your field for your glory. And so we just ask you to protect us as we go to our homes. In the name of Christ, amen. You're dismissed.